Would you turn to Psalm 103? Psalm 103, and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 5. This is a Psalm of David. We don't know exactly when he wrote this Psalm, um, but nonetheless it tells us that it was David that wrote this Psalm. We'll start from verse 1. Now, please note where it has the word Lord in capital, all capital, as per usual. I'm, I'm going to have the real name in there, which is Yahweh. So starting from verse 1, it says, Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless Yahweh, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Here we come to the Mount Everest of the Psalms of Praises. This psalm towers over all other psalms in the songs of adoration. If every psalm was a tree in a, in a tropical forest, in, in a world of, um, of inspired scripture, this psalm would be a tree loaded with some of the most delicious and tasty and juicy fruits of God's graciousness that are healthy to our bones. The sunshine, as it were, of God's goodness is radiating brightest in this psalm. And as we read in this psalm, we find that it's as though the blue sky of God's loving kindness and, and compassion is hovering and covering the entirety of this psalm. In this psalm, we find no petitions, no requests, no supplication, just pure worship. There is no mention of a threat of an enemy, no mention of a betrayal of a friend. Some psalms were written with the ink of suffering with a pen of anguish as the author would pour out his complaints before God. But in this psalm, there is no sadness, no sorrow, no grief, only sheer gratitude to the God of heaven. Furthermore, we note in this psalm that the psalmist here is not praying directly to God. No, he's singing praises about Yahweh. Praising Yahweh from the start till the end. Praising his benefits, his deeds, his characters. And he launches us way above our daily trials and pain. And he places us as though, as it were, in a cannon and shoots us through the space right into the throne of grace so that we would behold and we would meditate on nothing else but God and God alone. And we find ourselves in the presence of the one who is worthy, 
worthy of all adoration, worship, and exaltation. And we find that his greatness is, is so expansive, so grandeur, that his loving kindness and his compassion are so deep and so vast, so much that David here is calling upon his soul to bless the Lord. Let us place ourselves in David's shoes and fix our eyes upon Yahweh, who is also Jesus Christ. Let us be lost in a world of gratitude for God and for what he has done for us so that we too would call upon our souls to bless the Lord just like David did. The outline for today's message are two points. One, the blessing. Two, the benefits. It's so easy to come up with these two, and especially if they're mentioned within this passage, the blessing, number one. So we read in verse one, in the first sentence it says, Bless Yahweh, O my soul. David here is talking to his soul. He's stirring his innermost being. He's urging himself to magnify God. Now, three things that we need to note here, and we'll take them one at a time. First, the action. Please note, to bless Yahweh. Bless, that is to proclaim his goodness, to verbally declare his praises. And it's as though David is saying to, to his soul, let others whinge and complain about their conditions. Or when others are too busy focusing on their problems and wallowing in their own trials, but you, O oh my soul, you rise above this world of misery and bless Yahweh. To bless Yahweh is the polar opposite of blaspheming Yahweh. So when others shake their fist or ignore God altogether, but not you, my soul, not you, you fix your eyes upon Yahweh, you bless Yahweh, you remember his benefits and so to speak of his wonders and tell of his goodness. The second thing to note is the object. Who is to be blessed? It is to bless Yahweh. Let others bless themselves. Let them brag about their children, about their vain achievements. Let them glory in their riches or kiss their own dumb idols. But you, oh my soul, you kiss the feet of the one who saved you. And number three, please note the subject. Who is doing the blessing? Bless Yahweh, O oh my soul. When David wants to worship God, he doesn't begin by calling upon something outside of himself to worship Yahweh. No, here he reaches deep within himself and he directs the command. He summons his innermost being, his own innermost part of his existence, his soul, and he wants to offer to God a true, meaningful worship. 
And so he begins with the most value, the most precious thing in his own life. He begins to worship God, not externally. The beginning is internally. If we want to play the role of a, a hypocrite while we're blessing Yahweh, then we have got to rely on music or drum beats, something external to excite us about worship. Let us only arouse our external feelings to bless the Lord with our tongues, but our souls would be void of worship and we would win an Oscar award for of the greatest and the most phony worshippers in all of Melbourne. But David here, he got it right. He knows that God seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And so what does he do? He begins by calling upon his soul to bless Yahweh. And he doesn't stop there. He begins there, but he doesn't stop there. God is worthy of our highest adoration. He's the best. He's the greatest. He's the dearest our beings. And so David continues and he says, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. David here is opening up the invitation and he's ushering in all his other inner faculties to join this celebration. So as to say, all my thoughts, all my mind, all my affections and my will, all of my memory, all of my conscience, I call upon every fabric of my being to, to chuck a party, to kill a fatty calf and to have a feast of blessing for my gracious God. says, all that is within me. Is there a heart in me? Then let that heart love the Lord. Is there, is there any hope in me? Then long to be with him. Any strength, then pursue him. Now, please note it says, bless his holy name. Yahweh is the only divine name that is mentioned in this psalm. There is no other descriptive name, divine descriptive name found in this psalm. Only the name of Yahweh, the name of God, Yahweh. Now, when he says, bless his name, that's not just to bless the word Yahweh. This word speaks of his attributes, his essence, his nature. And when we add the word holy to it, holy name, that is to say is the sum and the perfection of his attributes. Holy, that is the unique, unspeakable beauty of God in himself, in his character. But when we zoom in into this psalm and we want to find out what attributes of God does David have in mind that compelled him to bless Yahweh. We find in verse 8, he says, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Verse 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. 
verse 17. But the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. Verse 19, his sovereignty rules over all. So David here is blown away. He's awestruck by who God is and how God treats him. And he's adamant to, to praise Yahweh. So what does he do? He repeats the very same thing that he mentioned in verse 1 again. So verse 2 begins, word for word, bless Yahweh, O my soul. It's almost as to say in that wide space between verse 1 and verse 2, somehow it almost looks like his soul is about to get distracted. And so he's saying to his soul, don't you get distracted, O my soul. Don't, don't you doze off. Don't you know who you are to bless? He is the I am, the one true living God, the one who eternally exists before time began. The one who is the sum and the totality of joy, peace, compassion, the sovereign, the self-sufficient, the unchangeable I am. The one who says about himself that he's love, that he's the truth, the life, that he's everything. And he alone is worthy of worship. So don't you doze off. Wake up. Open your eyes. Wake up, oh my soul. Bless the Lord. And what does it mean to bless the Lord? Sing his praises. Sing, sing it to the world. Shout as loud as you can. Declare how good he is to you. That's point one. Bless the Lord. And, and why is it that we would bless the Lord? Why is it David calls upon his soul to bless the Lord? Number two, the benefits. He says, and forget none of his benefits. Don't you dare blank out God's blessings to you. Don't you ever forget his benefits. In other words, commit all that God has done for you into your memory. Brothers, isn't this our biggest problem? That we have this spiritual amnesia. That we forget what God has done for us. And because we have this memory loss of God's benefit for us, what happens? They become out of sight. And, and when they're out of sight, they're out of mind. And if they're out of mind, they're out of our affections. And when our affections, brothers and sisters, are emptied and void, of what God has done for us, of God's favor upon us, guess what happens? We begin to fill them up with selfishness, with greed, desire to control people and situations. Pride kicks in and then we find ourselves in big trouble. So David says here, forget none of his benefits. Forget it. Never, never to forget his benefits. So what are his benefits? David here then begins to list for us 
five of God's finest pearls for his people. In fact, when you examine them, you would find these five reasons to bless the Lord are the sum and the totality of the result of the atonement, what Christ actually accomplished for us. It's the closest thing for David. 1,000 years before Jesus, we come to describe the, the effect of the gospel in our lives. And so instructing a soul to forget none of his benefits is indeed to preach the gospel to ourselves. If you want to bless the Lord, if you want to magnify his name to your wife so that she would be a godly woman, if you want to magnify his name to your children so that they would be saved, brothers and sisters, it begins inside of you. We've got to preach the gospel to our souls before we preach it to others. So what are these benefits? Why should we summon every fabric of our being to bless Yahweh? Or put it another way, what is it that would energize this kind of true and pure worship? First in the list of God's benefits. We'll take him one at a time and I'll see how we go with time. Lord willing, we'll have enough to cover the five of them. We'll see how we go. First of God's benefits. Verse three. Who pardons all your iniquities. You want to worship the Lord in a pure way? You want to sing songs to him? That's the first thing that you've got to commit to your memory who pardons all your iniquities. Forgiveness of sin is the first in the list. If God has an ocean of blessing and and he's ready to burst out this ocean and drown you in it, then the pardoning of your iniquities is the opening of this floodgate. Iniquities here does not just uh, mean sin that we commit no it carries with it the guilt that we accrued uh, because of sin and the shame and the grief this is part of what we are to remember we who were once children of the devil children of wrath without hope and without god and the poison of sin entered our souls and were running through our veins when our hands were stained with sin and we were guilty as charged and we were the most wanted criminals in the Supreme Court of Heaven, the heavenly cops were after us. He took the very blood of the Son of God as He chose to be seen for us. The, the Scripture tells us in verse 4 of Isaiah 53, Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. These are our iniquities. Christ determined to spill his blood and to face the wrath of God for us that we rightly deserve in order to pardon our iniquities. What joy should fill our hearts, brothers and sisters, to know that we are today 
accepted in the beloved, that we stand right before God as though we, we never, ever been guilty before. To pardon our iniquities, meaning our sin was put away. Now, please note which iniquities he pardons. Again, verse 3 says, who pardons all your iniquities. Not some. Not many. Not only the iniquities that you've committed in the past. All your iniquities. Brothers, when God forgives, he forgives like himself. With all of his power and all of his might, he pardons your iniquities. He cancels our debts according to the measure of Christ. How many sins did Christ bear upon himself? All of them. That is exactly how many God pardons. And so it's as though David is saying to his soul, Oh, my soul, don't you ever forget this. Engrave this truth into your brain. Tattoo it into your forehead. That though your iniquities, iniquities that are, are more than can be numbered, and each one of them is an unbearable burden. Oh, my soul, you were crushed beneath your own weight of your own iniquities. But oh, how merciful, how forgiving that God to pardon all of them, the visible and the invisible, the shameful ones and the ones that you were flaunting around. Christ gets beneath your dreadful burden and like an all-time champion, he bench presses the entirety of your sin and sets you free. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Book of Romans chapter 8 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Oh, bless his holy name. That's the first benefit, second benefit. And it only gets better. Who heals all your diseases. He's not talking here about the physical diseases. He's not having that conversation with his body. He's he's directing it to his soul. It's the diseases of the soul. Yes, one day the Lord will redeem our physical body and we will have no more diseases in our bodies. But here he's talking about the soul diseases. And he's saying, oh, my soul, don't you forget who it is who heals your diseases. Oh, my soul, consider the multitudes of your diseases that your iniquities have inflicted upon you. Or how you, your sin blinded your eyes so you were groping in the, in the path of darkness and you would fall into a ditch of lust. 
And then when you get up, you trample over and you fall into a manure of pride on the other side. Oh, my soul, how sin inflicted even your taste buds. Drinking your own vomit of selfishness and you were enjoying it as it was fresh water. Even your your understanding was diseased. Your your IQ was negative 10,000. What God said was wrong. You were convinced to be right. All your affections and the emotions of your heart had a disease of leprosy dripping with pus and it stunk. And if I would cut you up in thousand pieces and I would examine you, I would find that every part is worse than the other. But oh, the compassion of God. Oh, the loveliness of Christ, your, your great physician, who is excellent at healing every disease that paralyzed you. Are you so diseased? So blind that you can't even see a ray of hope? Here are new set of eyes to behold the wonderful beauty of Christ. Do you have a heart disease that you can't even beat a pulse of passion for him or for godliness? Here is a new heart that desires to know nothing but him alone, that loves him above all, that longs for his return. Are you, are your feet so paralyzed that you can't walk the talk? Are here are new feet for you to follow Christ, to obey him, to pursue him, and they will never grow weary. Even your, your mouth who knew nothing but curses and, and blaspheming. Your mouth that was once muted to the praises of God. Now he heals you so that by that same mouth, you bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And there's no disease left in you that he doesn't cure and that he doesn't cleanse you from such that one day he will present you blameless, spotless, without wrinkle or a speck before him for eternity to come. Oh my soul, don't you ever Forget this. The third in the list. Who redeems your life from the pit. Pit here is a pit of destruction. Redeems your life. Purchase your life from destruction. You know, nothing brings more joy to a criminal sentenced to death than when a rope of execution is around his neck and as he's just about feeling the strands of that rope, putting pressure on his skin and it's about to get tightened and then he hears that he's guilt-free, he's dismissed, that his sentence is lifted. And brethren, so too, we were so close, much closer to our doom than even our, our clothes are close to our skin. 
We were hanging above the flames of, of hell by a thread, one breath away from our eternal doom. And always, always lived in the terror of the Lord. The gavel of the divine judgment was hanging upon our heads and any moment they would slam and would crush us forever. But aren't we glad? Aren't we glad, brothers, that even while a voice out of the law of God would come out thundering, cursed are you, you wicked criminal, that the scripture tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. It took the life of Christ to be the ransom price, to redeem us from the pit. Verse 4 again, who redeems your life from the pit. How grateful should we be? Like the criminal, we suddenly hear that we are guilt-free, that our sentence is lifted. The purchase power of God's Son broke the chains that bound us to our eternal doom and secured our redemption. How merciful is He? How kind? And brothers, if that's not even enough, there is more. And if you would classify the first three benefits as the negative, as to save us from something bad, now we move into the positive, the fourth. It says, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. God never does half the job. He is perfect and all that he does is just as perfect as he is. He won't rest until he perfects us. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. It says, it says if to say that pardoning and healing and, and redeeming are not enough for God, he's got to go all the way and to crown you and I as kings. Who crowns you? That's an auguration language. And it's an auguration befitting the children of God. So what does he do? He places a crown on our, on our souls. And then he gently places two priceless gems on that crown. What are they? Loving kindness and compassion. Sorry. Our soul has got a crown of loving kindness and compassion. This is not to say that we are the king of loving kindness and compassion. Absolutely not. It's only when God places this crown upon his head, it means that, it, that he is the source of these lovely characters, that all love and compassion flow out of God. But when we wear them, what it means is that Yahweh is saying to our souls, you and only you are the object of my compassion and loving kindness. We see, for example, in verse 11, as it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. If you don't fear the Lord, if you're not one of his, this does not apply to you. And you'll only know that it applies to you when you come to Christ. 
This applies to those who fear him, the elect. Let's take him one at a time. Loving kindness. What does that mean? It means that he'll always be faithful to his people. Always. Even, even when they are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Verse 17, it tells us that this loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. From everlasting, it was the loving kindness of God that motivated him to even choose us from the very beginning, to pardon and to heal and to redeem us, no matter the price that he would pay. To everlasting, it'll be the same thing. Same motivation, it is God's loving kindness that will protect us, preserve us, glorify us. The second is his compassion. What is compassion? It's, it's the seat of affection. It's the center of feelings. In one hand, his loving kindness is constant and it'll always be activated, but his infinite compassion is engaged when one of his children is hurt or broken. Compassion means that God moves with pity once he knows that we are down. He longs to meet our sufferings with his tender mercy. Do you have pain? Are you grieved? Is your soul feeling anguish for any reason? Verse 13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. O my soul, forget not Yahweh's blessing. Forget not how he treats you. That he's always compassionate, always ready to pick you up when you fall. When you're hurt, oh my soul, remember this that the Father of heaven and earth, your own Father, he will always be compassionate towards you. All right, very well. The last in the list who satisfies your years with good things. As though it's not enough to be compassionate and to be loving kind towards you. Now he wants to satisfy you. Now he wants you to give you abundance and not just take away unhealthy stuff. He wants to satisfy you with good things. Now you haven't, Eternal, never dying soul, always hungry. And its, its stomach is as great as an ocean. Yet he promises to satisfy you with good stuff, good things, delicious things. What is better satisfaction than a deep, intimate, uninterrupted fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes later in, in the book of John and he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. 
He is the good thing. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, meaning he will be satisfied. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Many people are trying to find their satisfaction in a world that will perish. Right? They try to find their delight in a world that one day will go kapoom, gone forever, and will turn into ashes. But the fact of the matter is, we've got to have the relationship with God in Jesus Christ, because that's the only thing that would satisfy the soul. Would to God that we would own this truth. Because to be satisfied in Christ, it means that Jesus is your greatest chef and he prepares the greatest banquet for you. And he cooks for you the greatest meal befitted only for kings. And he serves you by feeding you and feeding you affection and love and grace and inheritance and eternal rewards and crowns. And he would continue to feed you. And when you become thirsty from the amount of delicious food that he's been feeding you with, And he would be standing there right next to you with his infinite refreshing water sprung out of his own heart, out of that living fountain. And he would quench your thirst. What does it say? Who satisfies your years, all the days of your life. You will know no boredom. No loneliness because Christ who is in you will always be with you all the days of your life. Giving you purpose. Giving you a reason to exist. A better reason than my dog at home. Whose purpose in life is reduced to only just the next bone that I would give to to eat or lick. And he will continue to pardon and heal and crown and satisfy you. And as your heart swells up with his goodness, you will not rest until every fabric of your being plus your soul would offer him the deepest and the most profound, the most sincere kind of praise, blessing him. What a wonderful God that we worship. That's that's our God. That's the God of the Bible. That is Yahweh. That is his name. May we never forget these brothers. May we never forget that the best thing in life is God himself and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. And if you are an unbeliever today, I want to say to you, none of this really applies to you. 
None of them. None. Not until you come to Christ. You're, you're going to go home today. If you don't put your trust in Jesus, you're going to go home dead in your sin without any purpose, any goal in your life. And you're going to try to find satisfaction in money, in two cents worth of lustful desires. And I'm here today to tell you no greed, no worldly pleasure will ever give you what your soul is created for. And all the worldly pleasures are going to do is going to leave you more empty, more miserable. And it will eventually thrust you into God's judgment seat. And it will cast you into eternal hellfire. That is the only other alternative from being pardoned, healed, redeemed, satisfied. Why would you choose destruction? Why would you choose death? Choose life. Choose life. Choose Yahweh. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. This wonderful, compassionate God took on flesh and he came and he lived a perfect life that you can never live. And on the cross, he bore the sins of his people as he was hung on the cross, voluntarily willing to die on their behalf. And he has become their perfect substitute. And he drank the very last drop of God's cup of wrath for his people. Believe that he is your perfect substitute. Believe that this Christ, this Messiah, is the only Savior that is able to save you from your own sin and destruction. Throw yourself upon that cross of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Oh, I beg of you, do not harden your heart. No matter how old you are, whether you're 11 years old or 40 plus years old, or it doesn't matter how old you are, come to Christ today. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find healing. You'll find even satisfaction that will last you for eternity to come. Believe in him. He rose again. And the Bible says that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is available to you. Not only to save you, but also to change you. To make you complete before him. Or cast yourself upon him with all of your sins. Don't wait till you get better. Come to him now and you will find all you need to have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful. So thankful. How joyful we are, Lord, for all the benefits that we have in you. Would you, Lord, by the power of your spirit, engrave it into our hearts and minds. May we never, ever forget your blessing upon us. So that our hearts would burn with love and fervent passion. 
to want to bless you, beginning from within our soul. And this blessing would find its way through our throat into our lips and that we would praise you with our mouths, with our feet, with our hands, and even those wonderful crowns that we would ultimately place them at the feet of your son, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.